0: Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer with John Adams. We have the appetizer before the feast of Thanksgiving games next week. It's a bit of a weak slate this weekend, but there's no shortage of storylines. Uh, we'll get into all of it. Of course, we'll have our picks for this weekend and at the end and we'll talk a little bit more about Auburn's coaching opening. Discuss some of the biggest disappointments in the SEC, a couple of which were back at it last weekend, offering a latest helping of disappointment. But first, John, <laughs> let's get into something a little more bright, shall we? Shall we lead with the disappointments or shall we lead with the good news? No, let's lead lead with the good news, Blake. Lead with the good news. All right. Well, the the teams around the SEC that are that are feeling good about themselves. Of course, George is at the head of the pack, continuing their march toward a a number one overall seed Tennessee beat the brakes off Missouri's six million dollar man Eli Drinkwitz still can't believe that contract happened and then LSU squeaked past Arkansas but uh, you know they they didn't exactly impress the selection committee but they're still in the hunt still got a chance to get in the playoff if they can they can pull a surprise in Atlanta in the SEC championship so that leads us into a conversation, John, of SEC Coach of the Year. You know, as, as we sit here with a couple weeks to go in the season, I see it as there's there's three candidates for SEC Coach of the Year, and I'm curious about what you think about this. I, I thought going into last Saturday, you could have made the case for four candidates. I thought you could have said if, if Ole Miss could get to 11-1, and one, you have to include Lane Kiffin in that list for everything they lost last year. Matt Corral, you know, a lot of offensive weapons, the way he's reloaded through the portal, the transfer quarterback, you know, fresh faces at running back, the whole bit. I thought if they could beat Alabama and get to 11-1, and Kiffin deserves a spot in that conversation. Well, they almost beat Alabama, but they didn't. And so I think that scratches Lane from the list. To me, it's a three-man hunt between Kirby, Josh Heupel at Tennessee, or Brian Kelly and your SEC West division winners at LSU. And can we start the conversation there? Or do you think I'm leaving anybody off this list that deserves to be on there in addition to those three?
1: Well, Clark Lee at Vanderbilt won an SEC game. So. It's true,
0: snapped a 26 uh, game yes. winning
1: streak. I, I really thought. Mong- 26 game losing streak. Sorry. Vanderbilt yeah, could only
0: dream yeah. of 26 game winnings, maybe in baseball.
1: Everybody knows what you meant there. I think uh, with uh, Vanderbilt, was a little bit of a disappointment to me because I really thought Vanderbilt had a chance to do something special. Uh, I thought that 26-game losing streak to, could grow to maybe 50. I, I really did. And, and so it was kind of disheartening to see that just go away. I mean, it was something to look for. You know, you've got – you got teams playing for the playoffs. You got Heisman Trophy candidates in this league, and then and then you got Vanderbilt. This epic losing streak. Can can the Commodores keep it up? And and I thought they could. So I guess that was a letdown of the weekend. and so for that, I thought it was worth mentioning that Clark Lee actually won an SEC game to give him some recognition for a job well done. Um, and Lane Kiffin, I still give him a lot of credit, Blake. Uh, he just remade that team. He did the same thing last year. And I look at not just what he did this year, but what he's done in the time he's been there. He's really turned the program around. So I give him a lot of credit for that. But I, I agree with you, the three strongest candidates. It's almost like we dismiss Kirby smart of Georgia because just the way you dismiss Nick Saban. I mean, if, if you really wanted to, to give a coach of the year, Nick's to anybody who did the best job, Nick Saban would have won it a bunch of times. I mean, but we usually well they say, well, it's like, well they're a great team, great program, of course they won. Same well, thing with Kirby now.
0: Yeah, let's let's start there, John, and and get into Kirby Smart's candidacy. I think it's a good starting point. They're they're number 1 in in the rankings and and you just said it. I think you know, I think most people probably would jump at the idea of, of Josh Hype. If you're an LSU fan, maybe, maybe you think Brian Kelly. We'll get more into those coaches in a minute. But let's start with Kirby because I think people would dismiss him and say, well, yeah, of course, Georgia's good. what do you expect? But you look at it Georgia lost 15 players from last season's national championship team to the NFL draft. Uh, and these you know these weren't guys going at the the end of the draft who were were buried on Georgia's too deep they had five guys selected in the first round of the draft seven players selected in rounds one or two you know they had to rebuild a good chunk of their off their their starting lineups on both sides of the ball particularly off that uh historically great defense last year. Georgia came into this season they were not the favorite to win the national championship. Now, a lot of people thought the SEC could produce two playoff qualifiers yet again. Uh, the, the prevailing thought would be it would be Alabama and Georgia. Now that has shifted into thinking it'll either be Georgia and Tennessee or Georgia and perhaps LSU uh, if the SEC is to get at least two bids. But there's Georgia back atop the polls, 10-0, and 0, with a, with a fresh cast of characters, particularly on that defensive side of the ball. And I don't know if they look quite as dominant as they were last season, but they're getting better as the season goes, I think, in many respects. Now, they, they opened great against Oregon, but but then they had a few, as I called them, playing possum games against Kent State and Missouri. Well, that's, that's a distant object in the rearview mirror. Uh, they continue to get better here throughout October and November. And I do think Kirby deserves strong candidacy for for coach of the year for what he's done in reloading and keeping Georgia well positioned as the favorite to win a national championship in a year where they, they weren't seen coming into it as that.
1: If you're if you're representing Kirby's cause as a SEC coach of the year, then you also want to cite that Tennessee Georgia game. Josh Heipel is one of the best coaches have not the best offensive coach in the country right now in Tennessee. And it's rolling up the points on everybody. Just hit up Missouri for 66. Um, Yet Kirby held that offense, supposedly unstoppable offense. His team held it to 13. And and Kirby's a defensive guy. So to make a case for Kirby, I, I think you can do that with that game as well as his overall body of work. And, um, uh, one thing, um, also to his credit and, and this, uh, you can say the entire coaching staff there, you, it deserves credit too, but I just thought it's secondary played so well against Tennessee and, and you see a lot of secondary lapses in today's game. I mean, the odds are against them with all these high powered offenses, but watching Georgia all season, uh, the way it's secondary is played. It's kind of done everything you ask when the ball is in the air. I mean, it sticks with the receiver one on one. It's got really uh, the, as a group. I'm talking really good ball skills. I can go up get the ball away from the receiver. So, yeah, it, it's easy to make a case for Kirby Smart.
0: All right, so so there's the case for Kirby. Move on to, to Josh Heupel. He's he's positioned the balls and. At, at, at nine and one, they're knocking on the door of the college football playoff. Probably going to finish eleven and one. They got South Carolina and Vanderbilt left. They're scoring points left and right. I think they just scored again by the time uh, since the time we started recording this podcast. They're piling it up. They just threw up more than seven hundred yards against uh, against Missouri. They got a Heisman front runner in Hendon Hooker. I don't know that anyone was thinking. At the start of this season, Tennessee could go eleven and one. Now, there were some lofty predictions for Tennessee. I was not necessarily among them. I was more thinking around the eight and four mark. Well, they've blown that out of the water. John, I know going back to the beginning of the season, you had predicted nine and three. I believe you were bullish on the yeah. balls. yes, but the, there were even a couple ten and two predictions floating around out there, but I didn't see anyone saying you know Tennessee would would beat Alabama and go 11-1 and one and make the college football playoff. And this is, again, just year two of Josh Heupel. He, he stepped into a bad scenario on the heels of Jeremy Pruitt's firing, the cloud of an NCAA investigation. Players were streaming for the transfer portal. And here we are. Tennessee is like a, a TCU or a Southern Cal loss away, potentially potentially from making the the playoff and, and Josh Heupel's second season did I miss anything there is it's is that
1: is that the case for for Josh Heupel yeah when I look at Josh Heupel as a coach of the year candidate I can't just look at this season I, I've got to look back at what Tennessee football was in 2020 it was a proverbial dumpster fire uh defensive minded coach and Jeremy Pruitt with no sense of what to do on offense just just a disaster um follow that up is what you said Ten starters gone to the transfer portal, uh, NCAA affecting your possibilities of sanctions. That that's a factor in recruiting in his first recruiting class for for Josh Heupel, and really a modestly talented team. Maybe more talent than I thought. Uh, I think Jeremy Pruitt with some of those guys had a uh, a great ability to pretty pretty much hide talent. Uh, you, you just didn't know it as it was as good as it was under him. But I I think Josh Heupel is, uh, he's, he's done more with less. I think than anybody, I I think not just in the sec, but I mean, you talk about a national coach of the year. I think you're talking about, uh, Sonny Dykes at TCU and Josh Heupel, Tennessee, those two guys, both offensive minded guys who took over programs, uh, Defe- uh, that were run previously by defensive minded coaches. What's before we get into Brian Kelly, John? What's what's
0: your normal thought on these situations? Do you sort of lean toward the coach of the best team? Um, you know, someone in Kirby Smart scenario for yeah, they are expected to be good, uh, but they've been that good and even better this year. They're the favorites to win the national championship. Do you like to lean in that direction, or are you more for someone who? Uh, Maybe the expectations were okay for that team, but they've exceeded the expectations uh, or maybe even blown the the expectations out of the water. They don't have the best team in the conference, but they have a team that's much better than anybody would have expected.
1: What's kind of your lean in the coach of the year scenarios? It would be more of the latter, Blake. I mean, look, who did more, as I said, who did more with less? And maybe that's not fair. I mean, you could. You can make a case either way, but I look at like the coach of the no- number one team, he's, he might, he'll take home a national championship trophy. I mean, he's, he's going to win enough. He's getting play. He's getting paid millions and millions. Uh, Kirby's probably double, uh, Josh Heupel's, uh, salary. So they, they win enough. Uh, so I would go with the guy and, and if Vanderbilt's Clark Lee, had won, if he could win another SEC game down the stretch, I'll have to look at him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't think if we were going to get a, a fourth candidate
0: for Coach of the Year in this podcast, I didn't think it would be Vanderbilt's Clark Lee. But you, you said it, John. He snapped that 26-game SEC uh-huh. losing streak. So With why not? Clark. He beat Mark Stoops, whom you know, all the national sports writers just love Mark Stoops. They think if he was, you know, at a different program, he'd had twenty-seven national championships by now. So, uh, hey, if Clark Lee can beat Mark Stoops, and Clark Lee might win twenty-eight national
1: championships if he was at a better program. Taking a darker look at that, though, having ended a twenty-six game losing streak and likely to begin a new losing streak this Saturday, Vanderbilt. Do you think? it can match that 26 game losing streak again let's just say in the le- next five or six years could you see that being matched or is that that will that become a standard that's kind of unattainable a search for the holy grail or whatever just something that you know no you can you can shoot for it but you can't hit it i think it's the latter you can shoot
0: for those stars but uh. i think vanderbilt made losing 26 sec games in a row look easy I think it's much more difficult to lose twenty-six consecutive conference games than what Vanderbilt made it look. And that's that's the thing about a program like Vanderbilt, they can meet um they, they could they can make feats like that look look simple. That's the Vanderbilt way. That's the Vanderbilt creed. They make difficult things look simple, such as losing twenty-six conference games in a row. Um they they really made that look like a breeze. But I think it's much much harder to do than, than what they made it look. So I think that will stand for some time. Um, you know, it'll it'll be up there with uh, you know the, the the long hitting streaks and in, in baseball and um, you know some of those complete game records or no hitter records you see in base. Just the, the game has has changed, and um, th- those records are untouchable. That twenty six game losing streak in the conference for Vanderbilt that might be one of those those untouchable streaks we might not see that come around anymore maybe i will live long enough john but
1: i you don't I see don't me know doing that no. no uh no if you'd seen the x-rays MRIs, and the blood test you would there's no way but uh you uh, know for for a second there i, I just think yeah, who's uh the other coach involved in that losing streaker vanderbilt and, and how uh, Temporarily could remember his name, and and that's unfortunate because he was part of a he's part of SEC history. Well, I know and, you think the world of Derek Mason. Yeah, too. I do. Yeah, he's but I think of him as a NFL wide receiver too.
0: I know you also think the world of Brian Kelly, John Brian Kelly, who jokes about his accent. Aside, I mean he he just a he kind of embraced the joke, so good for him in the off season. But b He's he's gone out and made everybody uh, forget or, or they're kind of laughing with him now over, over over that. They're not laughing at him anymore <laughs> because yeah. uh, the, the joke's on everybody else, really. Brian Kelly's come in in year one at LSU, and he's lived up to the expectations. Now, long-term, the expectation is for LSU to win national championships under Brian Kelly, but I don't think anybody thought he should be doing that in year one. I think winning the SEC West in year one, that uh, that meets the bar or exceeds the bar. Didn't look good in the season opener, but since then, LSU got it rolling. I know they stumbled around against Arkansas on Saturday, but let's not be a victim of the moment. They're going to play in Atlanta, and here they are um, entering their 11th game of the season against UAB on Saturday, and they still have a shot at the college football playoff. This is a program that when Brian Kelly watched them play, in their bowl game last year, he watched it from a from a booth from above. He wasn't coaching that game. He'd been hired, but he wasn't coaching. Uh, LSU in that bowl game last year, the Texas Bowl against Kansas State, they were down to 39 available scholarship players. Now, of course, you have some injuries and some opt-outs. That didn't mean they only had 39 scholarship players on their roster. Uh, and, of course, you have the incoming recruiting class as well. But that just goes to show how bleak things were you know, just a mere 10 months ago, whatever it was, for, for LSU. They, they played their bowl game with 39 scholarship players. Brian Kelly brings in a pretty solid recruiting class, salvages that class and, and makes sure that, you know, all those guys didn't leak out uh, after the coaching change. Among that recruiting class was five-star linebacker Harold Perkins, uh, who looks like a star for years to come. I mean, he was the biggest reason LSU beat Arkansas uh, on Saturday, and, and is still in the the playoff hunt. I mean, just guy guy looks like he's he's a second year NFL veteran, not not a freshman <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> running around out there. But that was someone Brian Kelly signed after he was hired. Then he brings in a, a good transfer crop, including Jaden Daniels, the quarterback from Arizona State, whom he went on to develop. It's not like Jaden Daniels was a finished product when he came into LSU on day one. He's a much better quarterback now. Uh, than he was when he got here. Again, I know he's not coming off his best game, but let's not be a victim of the moment. He's had a really nice season, and and the win over Alabama—I mean, those aren't to be taken lightly at, at LSU. It's just the second win over Alabama for LSU, I believe, in a span of like twelve years in in that rivalry. I know he lost the head-to-head with Josh Heupel, but if we're just going off head-to-head, well, then Kirby Smart's got to win the award because he beat Josh Heupel, and, and they're head-to-head. So I don't think it can come down strictly to head-to-head. And I think for winning the SEC West, Brian Kelly has to at least get some consideration alongside Josh Heupel
1: and Kirby. Well, as as we make a case for different guys, I don't know, thinking back, I mean, this is not some award that I dwell on in the offseason or look back and break down the vote and wonder, well, maybe it should have been that I never think about it at all, but since it's part of our podcast, I'm thinking more about it. And, and I just wonder how many times you've had three candidates as strong as these guys. And then you throw in Lane Kiffin and what he's done at Ole Miss uh, and Clark Lee for winning an SEC game at Vanderbilt, uh, quite an achievement. So it, it's a really strong, strong group. Um, so um following politics and all the Senate and house rises, I don't think they had as many strong candidates as the sec does for coach of the year. So yeah, Brian Kelly, uh, his, he did a great job in the transfer portal. I mean, remade his team there and signed a couple of plays. You look at his freshmen. I mean that, that two, those two freshmen, the tight end Mason Taylor and, and then, um, Harold Perkins at linebacker, I mean, these guys, they're going to be really good for three years and only three years because they'll be in the NFL. I mean, Harold Perkins could probably leave tomorrow uh, and help somebody down the stretch of the 2022 season in the NFL. Uh, So he's done, uh, yeah, he's done a terrific job. And you point out Jane Daniels, you're right about that. I watched him play in the Pac-12, and I just thought, He was okay. He's a runner. He's a very elusive runner, but I didn't see him doing what he's done at LSU. I thought LSU would be in trouble at QB once Miles Brennan said, I'm hanging it up. So I think, uh, I hope since he doesn't mind making fun of himself, I hope when Brian Kelly gets to that SEC championship game press conference, advancing the game, he'll say right off the bat, We're gonna try and out Southern Georgia. Good luck with that to LSU.
0: Want to change gears, John? But I guess uh, closing thoughts here. If we can offer a verdict, I think after all of after I made this this case for Brian Kelly and and Kirby, I still lean Josh Heupel, and and my reasoning is this. And this is assuming you know Tennessee goes eleven and one, of course. If you would have told me at the beginning of the season Georgia would be the number one team going into the college football playoff, Tennessee would be 11-1, and, and LSU would be 10-2 and two and have won the SEC West, I think I would have been most surprised that Tennessee was 11-1. I would have been really surprised that LSU was 10-2 and, and won the West because I thought that much of Alabama coming into the season, but I think I would have been more surprised— that Tennessee would have gone eleven and one. You could have given me a hundred scenarios, and I wouldn't have seen that in the cards for Tennessee. So because of that, uh, I think it's it's the biggest shock. I think I think I go go Josh Heupel. Which way do you lean at this point?
1: Yeah, I would go with Josh Heupel, and and I think I would probably go with Josh Heupel nationally too. Even though it's it would be close with Sonny Dykes, and has it, it just flipped a switch with TCU and done a great job. But what Josh Heupel is not only has he won. But he has created an image of an offense that everybody's talking about. And in the offseason, other teams are going to be looking a lot at this offense and what Josh Heupel and his staff have done. And they're gonna and they're gonna to try to emulate this. Uh, so I think he's just had a huge impact, not just on Tennessee or the SEC, but college football overall. So yeah, he would get my vote. <laughs>
0: Well, as we change gears here, I'd like to take a moment to, to say, uh, again, just thanks for, for listening to John and I every week. This is our second year on the SEC Football Unfiltered podcast. Our audience is is growing, and we appreciate you being along with that. Uh, if you don't already, we'd appreciate if you could click that subscribe button so you do not miss an episode in the future. We'll be with you each and every week uh, as we approach the college football playoff. If you haven't already, rate or review. uh, That helps John and I uh, get in front of of more listeners. So if you like what you hear on this podcast and think other people might listening to it uh, as well, go ahead and give us a rating and review, and that increases our chance that they will find our podcast. John, we were talking about the, the best of the, the crop of SEC coaches this year. Let's get into in the, the holiday spirit, the Thanksgiving spirit. Let's get into a few turkeys of the year. I think Jimbo Fisher has to to head the hunt uh, yeah. for the, the number one turkey of the year award. After all that peacocking in the offseason, well, Jimbo just lost again. It's like a broken record now. We just say this every time, every week on the podcast. Jimbo just lost again. Still can't coach offense. Still didn't have a quarterback. Uh, now he's got wide receivers saying that they were he was benched. One of the Texas A&M's best wide receivers said he was benched because he was wearing sleeves, wearing arm sleeves. Apparently, that's a no-no at A&M, even though other players wear arm sleeves. According to, to this tweet from Moose Muhammad, one of A&M's wide receivers, the reason he didn't get to play against Auburn on Saturday was he was he was wearing arm sleeves for that game. All the problems Jimbo's got worried to worry about, I don't think wardrobe of his players should should be at the top of his list. So um also as an aside, kudos or as Philip Fulmer would say, kudos to Cadillac Williams, the interim coach at Auburn, for getting a, a victory there. Nobody was more excited than, than Cadillac after that. And um hmm. well deserved excitement, I might add. So so Jimbo, I think, tops the charts, but who else you got in your, your Turkey of the Year? competition here in the SEC?
1: Well, I'll look at teams who have disappointed. I really thought South Carolina could be uh, a top 25 team. I look rather foolish now. I mean, they still could have a winning season, but it's it's not just the record. It's how badly they've looked in, in, in some games. And so I guess I would say South Carolina. I don't want to put all the blame on Shane Beamer, the coach. But Spencer Rattler's had an awful year to transfer a quarterback from Oklahoma. And much of that has to do with an offensive line that's just horrible. However, Spencer Rattler could have gone a lot of places when he left Oklahoma. Why in the world did he pick South Carolina? The offensive line was bad last year and everybody came back. I I mean, yeah, they're more experienced. They're more experienced at playing bad football. So I know he had a relationship with Shane Beamer, who was an assistant coach on Lincoln Riley's staff, but still this is a big decision. You don't get to do it over. I I just thought, so that whole scene, it's just not South Carolina. What's it lost four games not just that it's lost four games, it just looked really bad doing it. I mean, Beamer's an offensive guy. Spencer Rattler's supposed to be a hot shot quarterback, bringing the tight end from Ost- Oklahoma, Austin Stogner, good wide receiver from James Madison. Everything pointed to a much better offense, and the offense is maybe hadn't sunk to Texas A&M depths, but it's not going in the right direction yeah you look at what South Carolina has left, John They're sitting at six and four.
0: they play Tennessee this weekend, then they close on the road at Clemson. They are staring down the barrel of a six and six season. Um, I think every South Carolina fan would tell you the expectation was was much greater than that this year and not only that I mean they're coming off of a thirty two point loss at Florida to first year coach Billy Napier. you know Gamecock fans were looking at that game coming into the season saying, hey Gamecocks are going to get Florida this year. It's a, you know, transition year for that program. Florida didn't have their typical depth of talent. First year coach, South Carolina got, as you said, hot shot quarterback. This is this is a year where South Carolina gets Florida. Nope. Not only did they not beat Florida, they got the they got the feathers beat off them um, by the Gators. And and I think, you know, as we were talking about good p- coaching performances this year, I, I think Billy Napier deserves a mention. He doesn't he doesn't make the cut in terms of Coach of the Year candidates when you stack him up against other guys in this in this conference. But Florida's sitting at 6-4. and four, They have Vanderbilt and Florida State left. If if they upset Florida State on the road to get an 8-4, and four, I think that's a really nice debut for Billy Napier uh, when you consider they opened the year with, with Utah, beat Utah, um, lost to Tennessee, lost to LSU, lost to Georgia. So are a bunch of teams. Kentucky's the game they'd like to have back, without question. But I just look at this Florida team, and I, I, I didn't like what Billy Napier inherited. I thought he had a, he had a rebuild on his hands. I didn't think that this was the normal abundance of talent for Florida. If he can get to eight and four, I think that's a, a nice start to, to his tenure. Uh, particularly when you stack it up against, you know, as you said, second year coach and Shane Beamer potentially
1: looking looking at six and six this year. Yeah, I like what Napier's done too. And I also think, uh, Anthony Richardson, the quarterback is really, I think you can get a lot of different takes on him. I mean, people talking about him being a first round draft pick. He obviously is a great athlete, but hadn't been very durable prior to this season. His first chance of being the full-time starter had some bad games and some really good ones, but overall, I think he's made progress under Billy Napier. And I, I can't imagining him well, I guess anybody can go to the NFL, but I, I just think he will he could really benefit from another year in this system and maybe Billy Napier will recruit him some more help, perhaps receivers through the transfer portal. Florida lacks that, but I agree Napier's done a nice job. So he's he's certainly no turkey.
0: Yeah. Well I'll I'll offer one more turkey, John, before I want to get into uh, Auburn and, and Lane Kiffin uh in, in, in the dialogue there. One more turkey for me has to be Mark Stoops, and Mark Stoops was enjoying himself a, a nice little tenure at Kentucky. Certainly exceeds the expectations, but you know, over the course of his tenure at Kentucky, exceeds what you would expect from a Kentucky coach. Um, there's been more good than bad from Mark Stoops leading that that football program, but the expectations were ratcheted up this year, and part of the reason why was because in the offseason, Mark Stoops took on John Calipari, his basketball coach, after John Calipari accurately stated in a passing comment about facilities at, at Kentucky, Calipari was stumping for a, a new practice facility. He mentioned correctly that Kentucky is a basketball school. Oh, Mark Stoops didn't like that. No. So he did what everybody does these days. He took to Twitter uh, to, to, to fire back and make this a little kerfuffle between him and Calipari, why? Why? I mean, just just ignore it. Don't don't engage with this. And Cal, what Calipari said, right, is right. We all know Kentucky's a basketball school. Just enjoy what you got going there with your football program, doing a nice job. Uh, but but know your lane. Well, Mark Mark Stoops tried to get out of his lane, and life in the fast lane has not looked good for him. He's gotten run over, and Kentucky coming off of just a disgraceful loss to Vanderbilt. They'll, they'll be the answer to that trivia question, which team did Vanderbilt beat to snap a 26 game conference losing streak. That was Mark Stoops, Kentucky Wildcats, uh, coming into this season, you had mock drafts that had Will Levis, you know, number one going in the draft next year. I didn't buy that then. I don't buy it now. Um, but Will Levis doesn't have enough around him at Kentucky to even take advantage of, of his talents. And you know they're they're not out of the woods yet. There in Lexington because they got number one Georgia this week coming to town, uh, who I think's just going to punch them in the face, and then they finish <laughs> with Louisville. <laughs> There's a chance they could lose both those games and finish six and six for a season that had lofty expectations, had talk of of Kentucky maybe being the number two team in the East, being a top top twenty five, maybe even top fifteen team. They're no longer just a basketball school. They're a football school or an everything school now. No, nothing's changed. Kentucky's still a basketball school. Um, and and they're looking at a seven and five season at best.
1: Yes, and there's something about losing to Vanderbilt, even when it's not on a 26 game conference losing streak, it, it creates an image. You lost to Vanderbilt? What happened? I, I was just thinking about Tennessee coaches who've lost to Vanderbilt. At some point, I mean, not right after the game, but at some point they got fired. Derek Dooley, Butch Jones, Jeremy Pruitt, all lost to Vanderbilt and were all fired within, I guess, within two years of that loss. So not that I think Mark Stoops will be fired. I think he's done a nice job at Kentucky, but I think some people have made more of it. Some people in the media have made more of it than it actually is. A non conference schedule has helped. It has not been overly rigorous. I think his ceiling, when he had those, he had two 10 win seasons, and good for him. That's really good for Tennessee, for Kentucky football rather. But I don't know if you can do any more than that. I don't see Kentucky winning the East. And I think it will get harder because Georgia is the program in the in the SEC now. Tennessee is completely has had a complete makeover. It's gone from a team you can count on beating to a team you, you can't slow down. I I think Mark Stoops' best days at Kentucky are behind him.
0: John, I, I,
1: I teased the, the Auburn coaching
0: search, so we'll pivot away from our, our turkeys here and, and get into this situation at Auburn where a turkey was fired a couple weeks ago and, and Brian Harson And Cadillac Williams... I think his – I don't want to overreact to a win over Texas A&M because Cadillac Williams joins a list of seven coaches this year that have now beaten Jimbo Fisher's Aggies. So, you know, there's. it is what it is. It, everybody's beating A&M this, this year. But, you know, they took Mississippi State to overtime. They beat Texas A&M. They're 4-6 and six now. They got Western Kentucky this week. I think it's fair to say if Cadillac Williams was coaching this team all year, uh, Auburn would probably at least be headed to a bowl game. Uh, unless they win the Iron Bowl, they're not going to be headed to a, a bowl game, as it stands. Now, there's some Auburn fans that would say, react to that win over Texas A&M and say, okay, we'll just take the interim label off off Cadillac and make him the head coach. It's like eh, take take a deep breath here. And again, remember, seven coaches have beaten uh, the Aggies this year, um, and so the the search must go on. And in the aftermath of Ole Miss losing to Alabama. On Saturday, there was a narrative floating around by some media types. I didn't agree with this narrative. I'm curious your take. That if Lane Kiffin could not beat Alabama now, this season in a down year for Alabama, you know, with what is a what is a pretty good team for Ole Miss, I don't think it's as good as his team last year, but it's a it's a good team at Ole Miss. They have the the, the lead, they go out to a 10-0 lead, they lead at halftime, they're leading in the third quarter. Has he hit his ceiling? That was that was the narrative in in some circles of the media. Has Lane hit the ceiling at Ole Miss? Um, will he ever be able to beat Alabama at Ole Miss? Um, the 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 argument in that commentary was no, and he needs to leave for Auburn, where he can beat Alabama, beat Nick Saban, and and rise to the top of college football. I don't buy that narrative. I, I think I think if Lane stays at Ole Miss, he he can beat Alabama. There, I mean, without Bryce Young, he wins. He wins that game Saturday. If you if you flip the quarterbacks, Saturday in Oxford, no question, Ole Miss wins that game. If you give Ole Miss Matt Corral in that game Saturday, I think Ole Miss wins that game. Well, he doesn't even need Bryce Young. You put Matt Corral on that team, and look, I love I love Jackson Darts Moxie. I mean, he he takes as many hits as any quarterback in the SEC. He'll lower his shoulder and run for yardage. I'm not. Uh, I don't want to belittle him, but Matt Corral was a better quarterback. I think there's better quarterbacks out there. They needed to hit one more play, one more pass, uh, one more connection with an open target. I don't think, I don't think Lane's necessarily hit his ceiling yet at Ole Miss, and I just, I still don't buy this idea that he needs to, to slip out the side door to, to Auburn. Am I, am I missing something here?
1: No, I think uh, Lane Kiffin is a coach for this era. He's good with quarterbacks. He gets the most out of his quarterbacks. He's got a long history of that. Really good play caller. One of the best play callers in the country. And then look how well he's mined the transfer portal. He's excelled at that two straight years. Ole Miss's success is directly hinged on that transfer portal work. So, yeah, I mean, I think he can win. He can win 10 games again at Ole Miss. Um, I don't know that he's hit his ceiling. I think he will keep doing well at Ole Miss. Uh, and if he wants to leave at some point, and I think he'll have other opportunities, then leave. Maybe he can get a better job. I wouldn't rule that out. But I wouldn't take the Auburn job. There's absolutely no way. For starters, you're the number two program in a state dominated by Alabama. And I know Alabama's not winning a championship this year, but bottom line, it's two wins away from being probably two plays away, I should say, from being number one. I mean, if it wins the Tennessee game, a last-second field goal, if it wins the LSU game, two-point conversion in overtime by LSU, Alabama's kind of where it was when the season started. So even though this isn't a great Alabama team, my point is, Alabama is probably always going to be really good, and you're always going to be the number two program in that state. Another problem uh, the the boosters. They're the most aggressive as they are in the SEC, and, and they just want to get involved and they want to be. It's a very political place, and that doesn't fit Lane's personality. Lane is not an extrovert. Tommy Tyreville was the perfect coach for Auburn. He's a politician. Look where he is now. He's a real politician, but he was politic even when he was a coach at at Auburn. He's more extroverted. he's good with he's good with boosters. He's great uh, talking to the media. he gets out uh, uh, gets out there on the golf course with boosters uh, boosters and plays and scrambles. He's perfect for Auburn. Lane Kiffin isn't. I know he's funny on on Twitter. And he can be really funny one on one. He has some great lines. He's got really good deadpan humor. But he don't want to go out and play. Co- he don't want to go play golf with boosters. I can tell you that. And he needs to stay away from that place. It's a great point, John. Because I don't, I don't think Auburn's a
0: Auburn's a good job. You know, d- despite all the all the things working against it. Sometimes I'm not saying it's a great job. Auburn's a good job. I think Auburn's the best job available on this particular coaching carousel. And I think, you know, for that reason and, and many others, the timing was right for Auburn to make a change. I think they can hire a, a good coach to fill this opening. Uh, I think there's a lot to offer. And I think you can use these boosters to your advantage. You could say, hey, in the era of NIL, you know, having having a rabid booster base, a rabid fan base, I mean, you look at Jordan-Hare Stadium on Saturday night for a team that was on a, you know, three and six coming into Play another three and six team. You wouldn't have known it if you just flipped on the TV on Saturday night. You cannot criticize the support that you get at Auburn, but it takes a certain type of personality, I think, to make that work to your advantage, um, and not and and, and not just be put off by it. You know, it's what you said. I don't. I don't see Lane Kiffin wanting to go out and play golf with boosters. You know, Gladhand. He'd rather he'd rather study analytics and tweet dog photos. Um, and that's fine. He's making it work at, at Ole Miss, um, and I think Lane's a bright guy, sharp-minded, good recruiter, great coach, great X's and O's, but he's not going to go out there and, and, and yuck it up with the boosters. Um, Hugh Freeze would do that. There are other guys who would do that and could use that to their advantage, That that booster base. I don't think those boosters necessarily have to be your downfall. At Auburn, but I think you need to acknowledge the the reality of the situation there and hire someone with the right personality to mesh the climate at Auburn. I, I just I, I don't think Lane Kiffin's that fit. I think, as you said, he doesn't have to stay at Ole Miss for life. We're not talking about that, but he could stay at Ole Miss a little bit longer. Maybe make the playoffs when it goes to twelve teams, which could happen as soon as twenty twenty four. And then he parlays himself into a job that it, that is even higher up on the pecking order potentially than Auburn. That's that's the way I see it.
1: Well, if Brent Brent Venables keeps losing at Oklahoma, Lane might be able to have a shot at that job by the end of the year. Sooners aren't real patient about losing seasons. And they're five and five right now, I think, and that <laughs> that just doesn't go over real big there. Uh yeah, I think I think Hugh Freeze I think he's a perfect fit for Auburn. Perfect. I I just, I wouldn't even think twice about it. If I were making the hire, I'm hiring Hugh freeze. He's won wherever he's been. When he was at Ole Miss, he beat Nick Saban head to head back to back games. Uh, I, I don't know. He's, he's offensive minded. He's been good with quarterbacks. He can recruit. Sometimes he recruits a little too well and gets in the NCAA crosshairs, but Overall, that aside, I don't hold that against him anymore. He's done his time. Um, So I I would definitely hire Hugh Freeze. And and he's, again, he can can play the politics. I think he'll fit in there well. And as you pointed out, Auburn's fan base doesn't have to be a negative. It can be a positive because – you would have never guessed if you didn't know the records or what was going on at Auburn. If you were watching that guy was watching it on TV some and just the way the crowd was responding, my goodness, you would have thought it it was in the running for the college football playoff and had to win that game to to make it. And that's what you get at Auburn. So it's not, you got these rogue boosters, fine, but you also have tremendous loyal supporters and, and a coach can make that work for him.
0: Here's what you do, John. You know, at these introductory press conferences, they usually pose for a photo. The coach is holding that number one Jersey with the athletic director and you snap the photos, skip the Jersey, skip the Jersey, you hire Hugh freeze and you hand him a track phone, a burner phone at his press conference and say, welcome to Auburn. Hugh. we think you're going to like it here. That's, that's where you do now. Uh, and,
1: and you don't have to worry about Hugh faking a Southern accent. It's real. That's a good point. That's a good point. he'll he'll have that from day
0: one uh, something Brian Harson uh, did not have. He came from a land of potato ice cream and now he's headed back in that direction. <laughs> All right John let's let's get into our picks and we both had a winning week last week. We each went five three and one. We each got our lock of the week so we're back in the winning ways. I've got a one game lead on you for the season. 30, 37, and two. You are 29, 38, and two. I like both of our chances to get back to five hundred. If, if not better, when all is said and done, uh, we're going to skip. You, do you really? I really do, John. I, I think we're going to finish
1: strong. Uh, well, okay, good. That's okay. That's we'll make that the statement for the podcast. I won't, sure. I'll just leave that alone. <laughs> all Up right, we're going coming, yes. making progress on the
0: move. We're going to skip a couple of these SEC games against uh, Cupcake opponents this week. If you don't like that, schedule tougher teams. Um, But one team that's not a Cupcake opponent anymore, John, we've established this, is Vanderbilt. Florida is a 14.5-point favorite at the resurgent doors, and we know how tough it is to go into that stadium Mm. with that Vanderbilt fan base um, and deal with the confines. Uh, of that, that hostile environment. Uh, I like Florida here, though, nonetheless. I think Vanderbilt's going to have their attention after upsetting Kentucky last week. Florida has gotten two in a row. They beat Texas A&M. Um, they, they just destroyed South Carolina. like the trajectory of their season right now. So the the neat story of Vanderbilt comes to an end uh, this week and, and, uh, and Florida wins by three touchdowns plus.
1: Well, all the, um, the, all the attention Vanderbilt has gotten it, from that win and ending the losing streak. It has gotten attention, hasn't it?
0: And We've got
1: attention t- on this podcast. Yes. So. Well, th- there you go. Um, so what else matters? Yeah. I just kind of wonder how Vanderbilt will handle success. And I see com- the Commodores going in there are a little bit overconfident. Uh, I mean, we beat Kentucky, Kentucky beat Florida who cares about Florida. We're looking ahead to Tennessee and knocking off a playoff contender. So I think they'll go, they will go into that game expecting to not just win, but win big by showing up. And the next thing, you know, the Commodores are on a one game losing streak. That's the first step to 26 is that first game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you can't lose twenty six in a row unless you lose one in a row to start out. That's right. All right, so we're both down for the Gators there,
0: uh, Georgia, twenty two and a half point favorite at the afore mentioned Kentucky, which is now firmly in the midst of basketball season up in Lexington. Twenty two and a half point favorite are the Dogs. Woof woof.
1: You bat lead off here. Who who you taking? Oh, I'm taking Georgia because. Uh, are you, are you ever influenced by a lot of things you read and all and you didn't have a real firm opinion on something and, and like I've read so much about Will Levis as a pro prospect at quarterback from Kentucky I, I I even read at one point where he might be the first guy taken. I read that and so that kind of seeps into your thinking. I didn't really think he was that I think he's a good quarterback, great arm plays hard, but I never thought of him that way, and it just kind of affected me. And so I think I probably was too complimentary of him and and too optimistic about Kentucky's offense because I don't think it has a chance against Georgia's defense. Not a chance. Okay, it might can get six points, a couple of field goals. But Georgia's going to score more. He's going to score 30. So, yeah, I'm taking Georgia.
0: Unlike you, John, I'm not easily swayed by propaganda. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sometimes I seek out propo pieces just to kind of admire the the handiwork there, but I'm not going to be swayed by it more strong-willed than that. Um, So I'm sorry about your luck. Uh, Mm -hmm. And yet I think (laughs) you're kind of running yourself down too much. You were the one saying at the beginning of the season that Kentucky was overrated. So I don't think you were swayed as much as you're saying here in hindsight.
1: No, I wasn't swayed about Kentucky, I guess, but I was kind of swayed about Will Levis because – I know I wouldn't draft him, and I didn't care. I don't care what round it would be in. I'm
0: i i tip my hand by saying Georgia is going to punch Kentucky in the face uh, yeah. in this game. <laughs> so yeah, I'm taking Georgia to cover 22 and a half as well. All right, Auburn, John. They can't get to a bowl game, uh, but they can continue this special end of the season under can- Cadillac Williams, uh, and that is a neat thing for this program. I, I don't want to. Um, yeah, you know, I don't want to make light of that. I, I thought it was it was really one of the feel good stories of of 2022 uh, to see Cadillac Williams celebrating that win in front of Tiger fans, a full house uh, who, of course, you know remember Cadillac as a player, and now he was part of Brian Harson's staff. wasn't one of the guys let go. I thought they sent a message there um, by letting Brian Harson some of his cronies go uh, and keeping some others and putting Cadillac in charge. And so good for him getting that win against Texas A&M. He's got a shot for another one this weekend. Auburn six and a half point favorite against Western Kentucky. You know, if Brian Harson was coaching this game, no chance I'd take Western Kentucky, not only to cover the spread, I'd take them to win outright Western Kentucky's seven and four. Um, you know, they, they've, they're not just a, a terrible group of five team. They, they, they got an okay resume. They played, uh, uh, Indiana really tough this year. Not that Indiana's really good, but uh, power five a uh, power five opponent. They took them to the wire. But Auburn's got something going with their their ground game here, and and their defense played well against a And M. I know it's a And M, but I feel like they've they're playing with a little more pep in their step with Cadillac on the sidelines. So I think they can I think they can cover the six and a half here against Western Kentucky.
1: I love Cadillac Williams as a player. He was one of those running backs who refused to give up on a play. He just fought with everything he had for every yard. So I can see why he could be a motivating force on a sideline. You like
0: Auburn to cover the spread? Yeah, I do. We're in unison here. See if we get any difference here. I don't think we will. Tennessee, 21 and a half point favorite at South Carolina. We know Josh Heupel wants to run it up. He was scoring touchdowns with 36 seconds left against Missouri on Saturday. So I always feel more comfortable about a coach to cover a big spread like this if he's shown he's willing to run it up, pile it on a teams. Well, Josh Heupel, he's, he's not going to follow these rules, of these unwritten rules of sportsmanship. He's got a chance to tack on a garbage time touchdown. He's going to do it, and it's with confidence that I say Tennessee covers 21 and a half uh, at South Carolina.
1: I think the same thing. He's a better's dream. As a heavy favorite, always go with Josh Heupel in the balls. Joe Milton, Tennessee's backup, yard, backup quarterback, will, will throw for more touchdowns than uh, South Carolina starter Spencer Rattler. Ole Miss, three-point favorite
0: at Arkansas. This game terrifies me. I shouldn't have put it on the list, but... You know, I want to talk about compelling games, and so I put it on the list. If I was a better, would go nowhere near this game because I could see K.J. Jefferson comes back this week for Arkansas. He's like a week-to-week mystery. We don't know whether he's playing, whether he's not, particularly when we record these podcasts early in the week. If he comes back, the game's at Arkansas, I could see Ole Miss having a letdown on the heels of taking Alabama down to the, down to the final play uh, on Saturday. But I just don't know. I mean, with, without K.J. Jefferson, I don't really love their offense. And and I think Ole Miss, we know, is going to score some points. Love their running backs. Love Quinshawn Judkins. I mean, my goodness, it's going to be a treat to watch that guy run for two more years before he goes to the NFL. What a find from Lane Kiffin there, three-star prospect out of Alabama, uh, Judkins was when he signed. K.J. Jefferson, if I knew he was playing, I'd take Arkansas on the points. As we record this, I don't know. So I'm going to have to go with Ole Miss to cover the three-point spread.
1: Yeah, I'm going with Ole Miss, too. I love, as you do, I love Quinshawn Judkins. I also like Rocket Sanders, Arkansas's running back. You got the top two running backs in the conference going head-to-head. They're one and two Judkins leads, one and two in rushing yardage. So Ole Miss could have a letdown after losing that game and being a contender, dark horse for the college football playoff, but – I still like its offense a little more than Arkansas's. Right, we are we are still in lockstep here. We've got five
0: picks the same direction, uh, which maybe you're feeling confident about after we had a good week last week. Step outside the SEC for one here, John, in a in a game that will be important to Tennessee fans. Uh, Southern Cal two and a half point favorite at UCLA. Now Tennessee got a couple of favors last week with Oregon losing, with UCLA losing. And now they're really down to I think if TCU or Southern Cal loses at some point in in these final few games, I think Tennessee's got a great shot of making the college football playoff. If TCU runs the table and USC runs the table, uh, I don't know could get could get tough to find a spot for for the Vols at least from the committee's perspective at that point. Uh, But I know you think USC's going to stumble somewhere along the way. Will it be this week? They're two and a half point favorite at UCLA.
1: Who do you pick? That's a really tough game. My first instinct was to pick UCLA. I've watched it a lot. Got a really good quarterback, really good running back. Southern Cal seems to have a little more momentum, though, right now. UCLA lost to Arizona, so I'm going with USC and giving the points.
0: I'm I'm with you. I'm going to take USC. UCLA's pass defense. There's not a lot of pass defense in the Pac-12 anyway. Uh, but UCLA has one of the worst. They've just been getting picked apart week after week. Caleb Williams is flying a little bit below the radar, at least in our part of the country, for the Heisman Trophy. I think in our part of the country, we think of Hendon Hooker and CJ Stroud as front runners for that award. You wonder if if uh, if Caleb Williams has big games against UCLA and Notre Dame in the regular season finale, and then he has a Pac-12 championship. You wonder how much of that West Coast vote. You know, people in the in the Rockies and and along the coastline there. How many how many people will put Caleb Williams atop their ballot if USC you know closes strong here and he puts up big numbers against uh, UCLA and and Notre Dame? I I think he might be more of a factor um, in the Heisman race than some of us uh, who are living in our part of the world maybe realize. So I I do you know given UCLA's shaky pass defense uh, and USC's ability to pile up the points. I will take them to cover two and a half uh, on the road at UCLA. That leaves us, John, with our lock of the week. I will start us off with a a SEC game that I did not have on our schedule this week, but I'm going to make it my lock. LSU, 14 and a half point favorite at UAB. LSU about saw its its playoff hopes slip through their grass last weekend at, at Arkansas. Really a letdown performance, which sometimes you see happen to teams on the heels of playing Alabama. Uh, I think they get things right this week against UAB. They they need a, you know, they need to take every opportunity they can to impress the selection committee, and then they still need to beat Georgia and Atlanta to have a shot at the playoff. I think they get right this week. I think they they cover fourteen and a half against UAB, and I'll make it my lock.
1: Well, I tell you what, Nick Saban would uh, tell Brian Kelly better be careful because Nick Saban in his first year in the SEC at LSU lost to UAB. So I don't, I agree with you though. I don't, I don't think they will. For my lock of the week, I'm going out west. Uh, haven't ventured there in a while, haven't had much success in any geographic region of the country. I'm putting my hopes with uh, Brady Hoke. Former interim coach at Tennessee. And I think you mean
0: Brady Hoke. <laughs> <laughs> you said it too fast. It? That's not the way Brady Hoke talks.
1: Yeah, I have a friend who can do a really good Brady Hoke impersonation. I won't attempt it, though. I will go with San Diego State and give the points against New Tri- Mexico. They're, New they're Mexico. On their, yeah, yeah, they're on the New road Mexico. at New Mexico. Yes. That doesn't okay, scare you. No,
0: I, I mean, playing you, at New Mexico is not the same as playing at Vanderbilt. If that game was at Vanderbilt. I think you'd shy away from that 14 and a half point spread. Would you not? <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I'm thinking New Mexico. Is that one of the more lower profile programs in the country? I, I mean, has your impression of New Mexico football changed in, in 20 years?
0: I have no impression of it. You know, sometimes you have a hard time separating Arizona and Arizona State as uh-huh. football programs, John. Yeah, I'm that way with New Mexico and New Mexico State. Uh huh. They they have morphed into one program. Yeah. For me, uh-huh. um, you know, they play games like all over the country. You always see them pop up. Yeah. As this this guaranteed win opponent, teams try to schedule. It seems like, and yeah, they, they're really just the same team in my mind. I know the me- New Mexico's the Lobos. I at least know they're. Their mascot—that's more so from basketball, I think—that I know their mascot than than anything they've they've achieved in football. I couldn't even tell you what New Mexico State's mascot is, uh, but they're to me in my mind they're the Lobos uh, because they're the same program. Actually, they're the Aggies. I remember I remember that from basketball too. Mississippi State was, just hired their coach.
1: I was trying their, to think of it. I was
0: getting ready to call them the Aztecs. Uh, That—that's the team you picked to cover the spread. Yes. I know. <laughs> All right, John, we'll leave it there. Maybe we'll come up with some more turkeys next week uh, as we get into Thanksgiving. But uh, enjoy the, uh, the schedule of games this weekend. Thanks for listening to SEC Football Unfiltered.